Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Welcome to Ashto Resource q and I'm Brian Johnson, and with me is Kim Swanson. Hello, Kim. Hi, Brian. So, Kim, today is one of those episodes that I really like because I get behind in my emails, but uh, we're going to go through some of the questions, and, and the reason why is because these are questions that a lot of people have, but they don't necessarily ask me about them. Uh, they don't realize what they can ask about and what they can't, but some people have ask me these questions. So I want to give the answer to everyone. Now, in this case, these people actually have been notified about the answers. I think in the, uh, the first time we did this, they had not yet been notified, but I'm a little, I'm doing a little better on my I'm glad, my, I'm glad your inbox is a little bit better. So yeah, we do have another mail call episode and let you want to just dive right in. You want me to ask that first question? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Why are we suspended for cement methods? We do not typically perform? That is a loaded question because there are a lot of things can happen here. So CCRL will perform the assessment and the laboratory will present certain test methods to them. And then that let's say that laboratory gets accredited for those test methods. At that point, the ASHTO accreditation program is going to expect that laboratory to participate in the proficiency sample programs that correspond to those tests. Now we have this whole document about participation in the proficiency sample programs, which we're going to link to on our website for the podcast. And you can look at this, but there are, there are different rules for participation. If the laboratory is not familiar with those rules, they may not be aware of what they need to perform. And that may lead to a suspension after continued lack of participation or low ratings. And then they would get that suspension. They'd be a little confused because they didn't know what the rules were ahead of time. Uh, now, what, what we really want to avoid are situations where the laboratory didn't even know they needed to be enrolled. And we do our best to reach out to them and let them know about the enrollment requirements when we're notified about them from CCRL. Some of the laboratories in our program have heard from me directly about their lack of enrollment. And sometimes they hear from the quality analysts about it. So that can happen. There are also times where we have made a mistake so that happens as well. I'll give you an example. There was a time several years ago where we were not monitoring our proficiency sample ratings for cement and poslin as well as we could have. Or there are situations where an individual quality analyst was not monitoring them as we expected them to. Again, a mistake on our part. So in those situations, what we do is we let the laboratory know, hey, we did make a mistake in the past in monitoring that. We have corrected that. We're now monitoring that. And if we find that there are other issues out there that we didn't already address, we would go through our own corrective action process, which we would get our quality manager involved. We would investigate whatever went wrong. We would take corrective action. And we'd let the laboratory know about that. And the other part of it is we would take that corrective action as part of the process. And if we need to do something different in the meantime, take some interim corrective action, we would do so. So we want to make sure we're treating everybody fairly and with respect and also abiding by our own policies, which have been handed down to us from the 
Oversight Committee and the Ashto Committee on Materials and Payments, and as well as all of the requirements that kind of come out of internal policies and procedures and CCRL participation requirements. So there's all sorts of things that lead into these enrollment requirements, and we do our best to notify customers about those and abide by those uh, as stated. And another issue that this could be talking about is one where the laboratory was accredited for something and they decided not to be accredited for that because they don't typically run those tests and then they forget to tell the ASHTO accreditation program about it. So that is another scenario where perhaps the laboratory made the decision to withdraw accreditation and just stop participating in the proficiency sample program or stopped requesting that in their assessment or inspection and then they'll get a notification that they've been suspended for it. They're like, but I thought I dropped it. Um, if you don't let the ASHTO accreditation program know, then they're not making any assumptions. <laughs> so you need to communicate that effectively. Also, you don't want to be charged for something that you don't really need too. So that's another important part of that. Yeah, that's so true. And it happens a lot on the uh, cement and pozzolan chemical samples, where some people say that their machine is down or Maybe they can't test a certain analyte that they used to perform testing on or used to produce test results for, and they don't notify us about that, and then they could get a suspension associated with the lack of data. That usually gets wrapped up pretty easily. We, we send them a suspension notice. They reply, hey, we don't do that anymore, and then we withdraw the accreditation for that, and that kind of closes the case on that situation. But yeah, that's pretty much how most of it goes. Now, this particular question that came up recently we found out we did make a mistake on a uh, review of an assessment report that happened uh, a while back from CCRL. There was some confusion about the way the test method was listed in the report. And what they were doing is they identified the test method in the equipment section, but not in the procedures section. And our staff did not realize that the procedure was not demonstrated. So there's sometimes some confusion with just understanding the report that's presented to us that that happens. I, I had not seen that before, but we're going to be going through the corrective action process on our end. And we'll find out if anybody else understood that or or had seen that before. And we'll make sure our staff's trained on that so that it does not happen again. So moving on to the next question, what do I do with this notification about a deadline for receiving an on-site assessment if CCRL and ASHTO Resource are not traveling yet? Yeah, this is a common question we're getting right now because when we started performing these virtual assessments at ASHTO Resource and CCRL, the expectation from our oversight committee is that we would be then following up. If it was a new lab to the program, and they obtain their accreditation based on a virtual assessment where we have never actually been in their laboratory to check the equipment physically and firsthand, make sure curing facilities are operating as expected through our own determination, other than just pictures and data and things like that that we've seen remotely. The expectation is that we perform an on-site assessment within one year of when that laboratory had their virtual assessment. So. We are hitting the point where the pandemic lasted a lot longer than any of us expected it to. So we are pushing those deadlines out. But the problem we're running into is we don't know where to push them to because we don't know when we are going to definitely be back on the road or when CCRL is definitely going to be back on the road. So what we told laboratories, what I've told laboratories is just leave that date where it is for now. You're going to get 
probably two automated notifications due to that, but we will let you know when you need to start worrying about that. So it's not going to happen just all of a sudden where your accreditation is suspended for not following through because we realize we we need to move that date, but we want to move it to a date that works for both you and the assessment provider so that we can deliver the expected services and there are no complications with your accreditation. And if anybody has any questions about that, they can reach out to me directly to my email. They can just forward me the notice, ask what's going on if they're not sure. And I, I don't want you to be worrying about it. So so uh, please reach out to me, stay in communication and uh, and we'll, we'll let you know what's going on. Yeah, and if for the Ashta resource assessments, you can go on our website and have more in- more details about what their plan is to go back on the road and when it's safe to travel and things like that. So we do have information about that, but you can really, you know, don't have to forward that email to Brian. Anyone I think on our administrative staff might be able to address that or your quality analyst too. So you can go right to, (laughs) right to Brian. Well, I mean, I think if you're, if you're listening to this, I thank you for listening to it. And I think you get, you can, you can get the gold, the, uh, the white glove service or the, uh, You know, Perfect. whatever you can reach out to me directly. Okay, so you have a, a hand engraved invitation, so to speak, to That's reach right. out. But yeah. we should maybe ask them to send it to podcast at ashtoresource.org so you know that it came from a listener. That's a that's a good point. That you know, inbox that, is so hungry for emails. Yes, I know you just really want an honest to goodness question to come in to podcast at ashtoresource.org. So I, I was just trying to get people <laughs> to to go Thank there. You. No problem. Our next question is, we are not receiving our specifier alerts on laboratories that we are monitoring. Is the system not working? This was a great question I got this week. And and I discovered something that I did not know this week about how people are using the specifier system. When we built this thing originally, we were kind of thinking, okay, you've got two levels. You've got public and private. Public alerts tell you about changes to a laboratory's accreditation, which are publicly available. They don't require any sort of permission from the laboratory to be monitored. So that, and it just, it doesn't give you a whole lot of details. It just tells you, you know, the accreditation was suspended, reinstated, granted, whatever the status is. If any more details are requested, they need to either contact the laboratory directly or they can get private access and get a little bit more information. Plus, we have a release of information form that people can fill out if they really want to get into the details with us, uh, which requires that laboratory to specifically identify them as somebody we can communicate their accreditation details to. And it must be signed by the laboratory giving us permission to speak with them so that we protect their confidentiality. But What I didn't realize about the way people are using this is sometimes people request private access without requesting public access. Now, private access gives them access to other information, but the role that is tied to public access is specifically tied to public access. Private access does not automatically grant the public access. So in this case, I found that the the specifier in question was not enrolled in the public alerts. They were only enrolled in the private alerts. So the system was working as designed. It's just there was this little issue that we didn't realize in the way people were going to use it. 
So that that is actually something we're going to look into and figure out a way to automatically either automatically grant public access to the private access people or the other thing we could do is just make it really clear that it is not automatically <laughs> identified. It depends on what we're able to do uh, with the developer on this one. Yep. And just so if people want more information about this, you didn't even know that was a thing that there was monitoring available. It was designed for specifiers. So you can find more information on our website at ashtoresource.org slash specifiers. But we've also found some quality managers or if you're running multiple laboratories that um, they have also found use for this as a uh, monitoring tool to get alerts for certain things. So, yep. And it's free. It is. So definitely check that out. I believe you've already said this and covered it, but just to make sure that the public access stuff is only really what's on our website anyway. We just make it easier to access. So it's not like we're we're giving anything away. So it just makes it easier for people to to access that information. And I will repeat, if someone contacts us and says, why is this laboratory accredited? We can't give them that information unless we get permission to do so from the laboratory in question, unless there's a situation where fraud has been committed. There's always that. There's always that hanging out there. If there's fraud or if it's an investigation by authorities, then we can release whatever is required to be released to perform that investigation. But if it's just somebody wants to know what's going on, we're not going to give them that information. I think that's a good point to reiterate as well. So moving on to, I think, is our final question in this mail call episode. My mobile laboratory is accredited, but it's not on a job site right now. Can we delay the assessment until it is on site and only get assessed when it's set up for a new project? This question was another one that I really had to think about, and we're, we're still kind of mulling over our, our policy on mobile labs because while that sounds reasonable what do we do if a mobile lab is on a site for five years you know we can't just say okay you're accredited until you move it and our interval for accreditation is approximately two and a half to three years uh so all of a sudden we've got a situation where that is that laboratory is not going to be in conformance with the accreditation program requirements now conversely what if that's a very active mobile lab that gets deployed to different projects every week or once a month or something like that? Is it right to perform an assessment every time that happens where every other laboratory in the program is only getting assessed every two and a half to three years? That's not right either. And that level of oversight would be unnecessary because that laboratory has already shown us that it has quality management system in place to do all the things necessary to maintain the accreditation even upon moving because that move the whole re relocation process is part of the ashto accreditation program procedures manual so there are times uh, where we may have to do something for relocation and we do have a process for relocation for those laboratories but for mobile laboratories they're expected to have systems in place to handle those kind of relocations. And they're also expected to have assessments in the normal tour sequence uh, when other laboratories in their areas are being assessed. The one question we have, though, is uh, how much latitude would we give a laboratory in this situation, especially if it's completely out of commission? So, like, let's say the mobile laboratory, all the equipment's been removed from it. It's just an empty trailer at this point. There probably is 
some latitude we can do as far as like scheduling that assessment is concerned so that we get it in a time that's more appropriate, but it can't deviate too much from when the normal tour hits that area. So in this particular lab, we're still working out the details to see if there is some sort of flexibility with the date, as long as we don't get too far out of whack with our normal procedures. In this scenario, if it was going to be a long time delay, if the laboratory personnel or manager realize it's going to be a out of commission for a while, why wouldn't they just uh, withdraw accreditation for that and start the whole process again when it's ready? Is there a benefit that, to not doing that? There, there is definitely a benefit to not doing that, but that is that is something that the laboratory needs to think about. What's better? Because they're if they're going to maintain accreditation, they're expected to keep up with all of the other stuff that goes with it, including calibration of equipment at regular intervals, training staff that are typically going to be deployed with that mobile laboratory, maintaining, I mean, everything that goes with maintaining accreditation, testing proficiency samples, all that stuff. So they have to, they kind of have to figure out what the best solution is. So they may want to drop accreditation in the meantime, if it's a long time, if it's going to be a long-term situation where they're not deploying it, I'd say they should just withdraw. But the advantage to to doing all of that stuff and keeping the accreditation is that they can bid on projects and show whoever is monitoring that they are maintaining the accreditation while they're doing this, even if it's kind of decommissioned or or not active, I would say. So they need to be accredited so they can start bidding on those spring projects. Same goes with laboratories in uh, colder climates that may be shut down, production facilities may be shut down over the winter. They're still expected to to take care of all the accreditation requirements. Now, that there there's a whole lot of stuff that goes with that too. You know, you can take equipment out of service and then calibrate before you put it or whatever the word appropriate word is for that equipment and required procedure in an or 18, but you can do that before you put it back in the service. There are some things you can do. Uh, laboratories in that situation really need to have their quality management system in order and account for all of that stuff so that they can show the assessor what they've done in the meantime. But it, it's not the default where we just withdraw accreditation in the wintertime in the Northeast or anything like that. Uh, they, there's some things the laboratories can do and there's some reasons why they might want to keep the accreditation. Yeah, that makes sense. And it kind of goes back to what we first said in the first question is if you don't want to be accredited for something, you have to let the accreditation program know, because you, again, like you just said, you're not going to assume to withdraw accreditation um, just based on if it being a mobile laboratory or in a cold weather or things like that. So it is something that the laboratory manager is going to have to make a decision on. That's right. And that takes me to another thing that was not on my intended list of questions today. But when we go through the app invoicing, the annual app invoicing process, it is typical for some laboratories to assume that they were not accredited anymore at the end of the previous year. So we may send them the invoice and they may say, what is this? You know, we dropped accreditation at the end of the year. Well, they didn't tell anybody. They just assume that by not signing up for proficiency samples, by not signing up for a, a future assessment, that we would know that they didn't want to be accredited anymore. But the accreditation is a continual process, so they need to let us know. So at that point, we would say, okay, we'll withdraw your accreditation. You're still expected to pay for your annual accreditation invoice, but we won't issue one moving forward, even though you told us 
way late uh, in the process because a lot of times we don't get word of that until two months after they got the annual uh, accreditation invoice that's typically issued the last week of March or the first week of April every year. So that, that's a good thing to keep in mind. If your intention is to withdraw, you have to let us know so we can take care of that and not invoice you for things that you don't need or didn't intend to be charged for. Yeah, because we don't want to invoice you for things that you don't need, but we will if you don't let us know. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. And and we are <laughs> we are not a profit, uh, you know, uh, obsessed organization. We are a nonprofit at Ashto, so we are not out for it. We are trying to cover our expenses, and we try to provide good value to all of the customers. Uh, so that we can provide a, a good service at a reasonable price. Uh, I know that some people have different ideas of what that means, which we understand, but it is expensive to run an enterprise like this. It is. And side note is if you do not want to be accredited and you withdraw for things, that actually frees up the quality analyst time to work on people that do need to be accredited. Because although you might not be actively doing anything that still requires some effort from your state QA and things like that, um, they are still doing work. And that is why you're getting a bill for accreditation, because there is still work happening, even though you're not actually, you know, doing the work, if that makes sense. Right. I think I made that more confusing, but maybe I didn't. Well, I know what you mean. It, it, it Just because you're not actively engaged in conversation or reviews constantly, uh, it doesn't mean that you are, you know, we don't we don't bill by our time spent specifically with you because even when we are not having a person tend to your needs, your immediate needs, uh, we're still maintaining a whole system that promotes your accreditation, that maintains your accreditation, that monitors your accreditation. Those systems are still happening, whether you know it or not. So. Anything else you want to throw in in this mail call episode, Brian, or did we cover everything in your inbox that needed to be addressed? I think that's it. We 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 covered quite a few things, and the, these these issues are are interesting how they come up, and and we could we could probably do one of these episodes every week with the amount of questions I get, or the quality analysts get, or you get, or admin gets. All kinds of people are getting these questions, and they're 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 great questions. And I appreciate that people take the time to reach out to us, and we really do our best to make sure that we are communicating effectively with people, and we want to have that one-on-one -on -one interaction with people when we can. So please don't hesitate to send us an email at any time, or reach out, call us, ask us questions. We'll do our best to get you an answer. And my email is bjohnsonashtoresource.org, but we, you know, as we know, we want to hear from you from the podcast at ashtoresource.org email address. And I will add one more thing, international listeners out there, if you are listening to this part of the episodes, we would love to hear from you, even if it's just to say hello, give us some feedback. Maybe you have some questions about standards or accreditation or or what we do in the United States with our monitoring or accreditation processes, because they do differ a little bit from the international community's view of accreditation. We would love to hear from you and we'd love to provide some content that you're specifically interested in. So feel free to reach out to us and thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, 
send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resources' Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.